Chapter 8 If you can't help me, the warlord let the threat linger in the air. He didn't need to fill it in. It was a threat that needed no specifics. When the warlord stopped having a use for someone, he disposed of them. Or, more accurately, he had them disposed of. Elian Pallas wondered when the last time was that the warlord had done his own dirty work, and decided that, on second thought, he didn't want to spend time on that question. It led to the rather more disturbing question of whether or not the warlord enjoyed pain. Elian smiled his businessman's smile at the screen, where cold eyes glittered from behind the warlord's mask. I'm a supplier. I can get you whatever you need. You have only to ask. I did ask. The warlord did not sound pleased. I asked you to give me something that can crush the resistance. I don't care what it is. Cost is not an issue, and I should not need to give you specifics. You are the expert. Get it for me. Elion held himself very still. He did not let his hand clench around the pen he was spinning lazily in the fingers of his right hand, nor did he let himself swallow. It was an impossible task. There was no specific weapon that would end the resistance movement on Emir. That could be done only with troops, well-trained and well-paid, and even then, squashing resistance amongst a slave labor force was more a matter of maintenance than anything else. If you didn't want a resistance, Alien wanted to say, you should have chosen goods to supply that didn't require human labor. He didn't say it, for the simple reason that he did not have a death wish. Also, he understood, after watching the warlord carefully for many years, that the warlord enjoyed having slaves. In a way, he needed the resistance. In order to appreciate the power he had on Emir, there must be a resistance, and he must destroy it. It was also the thing that most terrified him. And, in Elion's opinion, rightfully so. Humans were tricky, sneaky, willing to give their lives at unpredictable moments. One could never guess when a single grudge might spark and flare into a full-fledged war. Elion, being a weapon supplier, found this less worrisome than others might. After all, he profited no matter which way the weapons flowed. Or, at least, he had before he became the warlord's armorer. Wealth beyond his wildest dreams, readily dispensed, had become a ball and chain. Because there was only one way to leave the warlord's employ. I will get you what you could need. Really, what else could he say? The warlord smiled. You could always tell when he was smiling, even with the mask on. For some reason, that was terrifying. Oh, thank you. And how is your wife, the lovely Aaron? She's well. Elion smiled tightly. This was one of his sorest points. It had sprung from a single moment, seeing Aaron on one of the security cameras as they tested the system, turning to smile at a friend. Elion's breath had caught in his throat. The warlord, careless, had made the offer. I'll have her brought to your ship. Elion should have accepted, or refused outright. Instead, he'd asked to meet her. He had tried to make her laugh. He'd offered to bring her off planet. And when she said no, he went back to see her the next time he was on Emer. He brought her gifts. He could have had her any time he wanted. The warlord was generous with those who served him. But Elion wanted her to say yes. It amused the warlord. He didn't need this weakness. If he could assassinate the head of Alliance Intelligence, he could crush Elion any time he chose. It did not, however, amuse Elion. It was common knowledge among the Warlord's lieutenants, if nowhere else, that while many of New Arizona's elite had acquired trophy spouses, lovers by the dozen, and any number of hangers-on desperate for their wealth, Elion actually cared for his wife. He kept his actions toward her understated. He was in control of himself, 
but he would never live it down. Even the lowest in the warlord's employ took whoever they wanted from among the slaves of Emir and disposed of them however suited them, and Elion had married his. In some ways, it was one of his greatest failings. A weakness like that, in his line of work, was like blood in the water. Good. The warlord had clearly disengaged from the conversation. He was looking away, as if hearing a noise in another room. Now go and get me my weapons. You have three months. The call ended and Elion got to his feet, movement strictly controlled, and went to the sideboard. He poured a careful measure of brandy and downed it, then another, and another. Behind him, the door opened. Elion? My love. He closed his eyes briefly before turning. Her voice still made him smile. He watched her as she came to kiss him. She was immaculately made up, a far cry from the miner he had first seen. Honey brown hair was swept up, and her dark blue eyes were accented sparingly with makeup, and accented again, perfectly, with a necklace of vork and sapphires that lay heavily at her throat. She reached up to touch his cheek, and he almost shuddered. She did not love him. He knew that. Even when she had everything to lose by telling him, she had been honest. And he, knowing it was insane, and doing it anyway, had told her that he wanted to give her a better life, and if she loved him someday, he would be glad of it. God help him. He still hoped. And now, when he could see that she had noticed his mood and that she cared, that hope was all the sharper. What's wrong? Her gaze never wavered from his face. A client wants impossible things. He tried to smile. He never, never told Aaron what he did for a living. He had been carefully vague, and she had drawn her own conclusions. You'll manage it. He got the sense she truly believed that. You always manage it. He put his hand over hers. He must have been staring for too long because she tilted her head quizzically. What is it? Do you miss Emir? It was a stupid question. No one would ever miss Emir. Sometimes. What? I miss my parents. I miss my sister. Samara? At the look on his face, she sobered. I know it's not easy to go back. I'm glad to be here. I'm always glad to be here. But Emir was my home growing up. Don't you miss anything about Osiris? No, he said flatly. Osiris had been a hellhole. But, well, I miss the street food. It was better there. And, yes, I suppose there are some things. If my sister were still there, I would miss her. See? She smiled. I do. Don't you have another? Charity dinner. Yes, another one. She gave a sigh. You'd rather stay home and read? A little bit, but it's for a good cause. Again that smile, and she kissed him before slipping away to the door. Have a good night, Elion. He nodded after her. He found himself whistling as he settled down to work. A tune from, was it Osiris? Yes, one of the songs the children used to sing there. Curious. He hadn't thought of Osiris in years. The glass of brandy was empty on the sideboard, but he didn't care. He kept picturing Aaron's smile. See? He did. His smile faded and he looked at the door. She had a way of making him see the world differently. She was changing him. She had made herself quietly indispensable over the past two years until he could no longer imagine a life without her. He had been afraid for years that someone might try to use her against him, but he had never thought to worry that she herself might become so indispensable that he could not live without her. That she, by the very act of being, could make him vulnerable. Until this moment, 
he had not realized just how dangerous she was. A truck was approaching. They couldn't see it yet, but they could hear it jouncing and rattling over the rough access road to the launch pad. Come on. Samara slid down an embankment and waved the others ahead of her, into the ditch. Move. Keep moving. If we get seen... She didn't bother finishing the sentence. If they got seen, the guards would realize they weren't at their shifts, and there wouldn't be any way to talk them out of their punishment. All of them knew it. She didn't need to say it. They piled into the ditch, and Stefan yanked her down. Okay, so explain what we're doing here. I didn't tell you. No, you just said we needed to get to the launch pad. Oh, Samara blushed. Look, well, I thought they have a communications booth, right? They have to, in order to speak with the ships that are coming in. And I bet they aren't monitored. So I figured if we could send a message packet to one of the ships, set it to distribute when it reached its next stop after this... Stefan gave a low whistle. We could get a message off planet. Yeah, we just need to check out the communications booth. She grinned. He grinned back. You know, once you learn to communicate your team ahead of time what the mission is, you're going to make a great leader of the resistance. I'm not the leader, Samara said. Arlen is. Uh-huh. And what did Arlen say about this mission? I might not have told him. Because it's about the weapons he specifically forbid you to get? Possibly. Yep, Stefan grinned. That's what I thought. Now let's go scout us a communications booth and then get back. I'm hungry. So, Major. Yeah, you, Rift. Major fancy pants. Talon gave a groan and dropped his head into his hands. He had stripped off his dress blouse before heading to the building where selection was taking place, but, in a serious lapse of judgment, he had not taken off the pants. Thomas Fordham, known to his team as Apex, clapped Talon on the shoulder and came to grab a place at the railing. Below, on the wide gym floor, the candidates for the Dragon teams were sparring. So what happened? Get hauled up for a tribunal or something? Kill a politician by accident? No one would really blame you. Talon laughed. Had to make a presentation to Soros. He had Fordham's full attention all of a sudden. About? There was a yell and one of the candidates went down. They hit the floor hard enough so that everyone could hear the crack of a broken bone, and most of the commanders winced. Eh, tell you later. Talon had not yet decided who he wanted to approach about this mission, especially after Soros had expressed reservations. The last thing he wanted was a commander who wasn't fully committed. Doubt, after all, could spread between the members of a team like a sickness. Well then, grab me for a beer? Make sure to change those damn fool pants, you look like a professional chair rider. He's right, you know. Nix didn't take her eyes away from where the sparring was as Fordham headed off to circle the room. Your pants are excessively fancy. It's nice knowing my exo has my back. Always, boss. She looked over at him. So did Soros tell you to shove it or what? You've been awfully quiet. Talon blew out his breath. No, he didn't. He told me he was all for it. But... But? She raised an eyebrow. All the usual. He's powerful, he's vengeful, he has friends in high places. Talon lifted his shoulders. I get the sense Soros thinks it's a lost cause, but it's been eating at him too. So I need to figure out what leverage to put there to get him on our side, you know? Life would be easier if he were enthusiastic. He narrowed his eyes and nodded toward the floor at a particular pair of soldiers sparring. By the way, are you seeing this? Yes, I was wondering when you'd mention it. Nick sounded impressed, which was rare, 
but in this case entirely warranted. The man looked young to Talon's eyes. Dragons tended to run older than most soldiers. There was a saying that the soldier was at their peak when they had just begun to taste the sting of an aging body. As they aged, soldiers went one of two ways. They trained harder, or they got sloppy. Dragons were the ones who trained harder, and it was rare to find one so young, so untried in both combat and life. This man, however... Chaos, Talon murmured. Pure chaos. He was smiling at where the man was hanging back, eyes fixed on his opponent. As the other man, older and taller, closed in, the younger man waited until the last second before launching into action. His strikes looked unfocused. His weight shifted so there was no way to tell where he might hit next, what type of punch or kick he was planning to use. But every single one of them landed, and every single one of them hit hard. Loki, Talon announced. What? Nyx looked over. That's what I'd call him. Chaos. Trickster god. He grinned over at Nyx, and then saw the look on her face. What? It's a good name. Nothing. Just, if you've given him a name, I'd say he's halfway to being on the team already. Talon snorted. Him? No. Too young. And we don't have any slots open. Mm-hmm. She looked back at the fight, a little smile on her lips. We're not bringing him on. Mm-hmm. Her smile was growing. Go fight him. Eh? Now it was Talon's turn to grin. Go fight him. I want to see. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. She was already getting up. She stripped off her sweatshirt and gave him a look before hopping the railing to drop ten feet into the gym, and she wove between the sparring matches without a backward glance. Talon saw the other commanders sit up and take notice. A ripple spread through the crowd, and people leaned forward to have a look. Nix had been one of the most coveted candidates in her year. He had snagged her for Team 9 approximately 30 seconds after he first saw her, and he knew she still got offers to join other teams. The other dragons here were looking forward to the show. On the floor, she murmured something to the man's opponent and took his place. She nodded to the boy. He really was a boy, Talon thought, and slid into a fighter's stance, bouncing lightly on the balls of her feet. And she waited. The boy hesitated. He darted in close, so close he was almost chest to chest with her and still Nyx did not move. He was out, encircling a moment later. She had already controlled the fight, and he couldn't see it. He was circling to the outside, so that she only needed to spin in her stance to keep her eyes on him, and Talon had the feeling that the look in her eyes, easy, friendly, with just the slightest hint of an evil smile, was setting the boy off balance. This was why the dragons picked older members. The boy charged, a glorious flail of limbs. Nyx was gone, rolling easily to her feet. Undeterred, the boy charged again, and a few moments later was staring up the ceiling as he landed flat on his back. Nyx broke off and sank into a crouch to wait while he recovered his breath. Once again, he charged, not checking to see if she was ready. There was a murmur of approval from the group, that he wasn't standing on ceremony or fighting fair. They liked that. He was still outmatched. Once again, he wound up on his back, and this time, Nyx offered him her hand to help him up. He took it, only to have her yank it away halfway through hauling him upright and slam her fist full into his face. This time, he stayed down, though his eyes were open. Talon adjusted his auditory implants with a flick of one finger and leaned his head in to listen. He suspected the other commanders were doing the same. That's how it's done. There was no rancor in Nix's voice as she spoke to the boy. His eyes were open. That's what it takes to be a dragon. You're strong and fast, kid, but you'll need a lot more than talent for this. In her rooms, Erin Baranek sat patiently as her maid undid the necklace and laid it on a bed of velvet. 
and then took off the silk evening gown and hung it carefully in the closet. Is there anything else, miss? No, thank you, Amala. She smiled at the woman. Go get some rest. I'm sorry I kept you up late. It's no trouble, miss. Amala was hiding a yawn as she left, however. Erin wrapped a robe around herself and went to stand at the floor-to-ceiling windows that looked out on New Arizona. She knew that she should sleep, too, but she could not even imagine trying to go to bed now. Since she spoke with Elian earlier that day, she had not been able to banish the slow creep of thoughts about home. She knew what Elian would say if she told him. This is your home now. It did not feel like home. It still felt like a part of her lived on Emir, going down into the mines each day, coming up battered and bruised each night. Or, it didn't. Not anymore. Somewhere along the way, she'd begun to forget, and she thought she knew exactly why. The mere thought of it made her feel too guilty. She was here, she was safe, and everyone she loved was still there. She remembered Samara's reassuring smile. Don't be silly, Aaron. What good does it do for you to be here, too? Anyone who can get out should. The words made sense, but Aaron couldn't stop the slow creep of guilt in her blood. She stayed where she was, arms wrapped around herself, forehead pressed against the cold glass, for a very long time, staring out into the night. It wasn't right that she had left Emir the way it was, but how could she change what the entire alliance hadn't? Ah, Elion. Elion is one of the most interesting characters I've ever written, and in the original version of the story, we didn't see anything from his perspective. So getting into his head for the rewrite of this series was disconcerting, not least of all because Elion and I have some very similar areas of self-consciousness and worry. Although I would like to state, for the record here, I am not an arms dealer. (laughs) We also get a peek at Eren and see her through a lens other than Samara's. And we see Elian realize some of the danger that Aaron poses to him that she might not pose to anyone else. And we also get to see inside her head for the first time, seeing how distant she's become from Emir, how powerless she feels compared to the weight of the entire alliance. To get back to one of the themes of the last episode, Aaron is one part of a much larger team, and her sometimes deeply unconventional perspective is actually going to help Talon down the line, while also looping in someone Talon thought he'd never see again. But Aaron and Elion will contrast later as we can see that both of them feel very powerless compared to sort of the weight of the world. And they deal with it very, very differently. Elion doesn't see a reason not to do things that benefit him personally because he doesn't believe that he can change the weight or the moral arc of the entire world. And Aaron is going to be focusing on that very differently. So that'll be interesting. And to loop through Aaron's story a little bit, we also see more of Samara, this chapter, who is stepping out of Arlen's shadow, finally. She's still not willing to conceptualize this as her taking command, but she knows that something needs to be done, and so she's doing it. Samara is very much a take-the-leap-and-think-about-it-later person, which sometimes hurts the resistance, but also sometimes helps them quite a lot. And last but not least, Liam has his first encounter with Team Nine via Nyx instead of Talon. We'll get to see some of her reflections on that coming up as well as his. And one thing that stands out to me about this chapter is how similar Nyx and Liam are in some ways. And those ways are very different from myself. The idea of sparring in front of a bunch of commanders or sparring with a potential employer is terrifying to me. 
But neither Nix nor Liam has that anxiety. They want to fight and, in fact, want to fail in front of their teammates and potential teammates so that they and the team can become stronger. And that's incredibly admirable to me. Coming up next week, we'll see more of Terra, more of Talon's quest to find the Warlord, and just how Liam is dealing with his resounding defeat. Until next week.